medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance podcast. I'm Andrew Shafiq, a senior editor at the FMPA and your host for today's podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Enda King. Enda is the Head of Performance Rehabilitation at the Sports Surgery Clinic in Dublin, Ireland, and travels internationally to work with athletes and professional clubs. Enda completed his BSc in Physiotherapy at Trinity College, Dublin, and then moved to Perth, Australia to undertake the renowned MSc Manipulative Therapy in Curtin University, in which he graduated with a distinction. He also completed a PhD through the University of Roehampton in London, exploring the influence of 3D biomechanical analysis on outcomes after ACL reconstruction. Enda combines his clinical and research work through the use of 3D biomechanics and high-level residential rehabilitation to optimise performance and efficient recovery after injury. He's worked with athletes and consulted for teams across a wide variety of disciplines, including rugby, football, AFL, NBA, UFC, boxing, and GAA. His greatest area of expertise lies within hip and groin related injury, as well as knee and ACL rehabilitation. Thank you for joining us today, Enda. Thanks very much, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So today we're going to be discussing your experiences and expertise in hip and groin rehab. But just before we crack on, do you mind just following on from the intro, telling us a little bit more about your journey to date? Yeah, so... um, <clears throat> my my role in in the sports surgery clinic is is really centered around um uh, residential rehabilitation so that's availing of our 3d biomechanics lab to carry out, carry out more detailed analysis either on healthy athletes who are looking to stay healthy or looking to uh, improve their athletic performance on athletes with a bit of an injury history who are looking to identify any uh, residual deficits um, and then either on injured athletes or athletes coming through longer term rehabilitation, like ACL, for example, um, to try and chart their progress and, and offer some feedback and detailed analysis around that. Um, and then complementing that with, with, with intensive uh, rehabilitation in-house at Sports Early Clinic in Dublin. Um, I'm also uh, heavily involved in our research pathways. Um, we have nine PhDs ongoing at the Sports Early Clinic. Um, so my interest is predominantly around lower limb injuries and um in relation to running mechanics and, and change direction mechanics. So um, enough there definitely to keep you, keep you interested and, and keep, you, uh, keep you busy. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Enda. And I think you've, you've kind of introduced very uh, nicely the topic that we're about to discuss today. So, I mean, this is a topic that's always really difficult for practitioners and it's, you know, the, the hip is always one of the very difficult joints, the hip and the groin. Do you mind just talking a bit about kind of the differential diagnosis? Where is the, act- the pain actually coming from and why does that matter in relation to rehabilitation? Yeah, I think differential diagnosis around the hip and groin is challenging for a number of reasons. Um, Number one, often the athletes tend to present more chronically. So, you know, they've been getting biased, not like it's an injury like a hamstring tear where they have to stop. So very often they continue playing for a period afterwards. And when they present 
either within the club or or even in in in, in clinic for review is very often their pain has expanded and they often have you know pain centrally maybe pain down along the doctor maybe pain coming into the abdominal and so very often they have two or three painful structures and therefore how do you wrap that around a single diagnosis and a single management plan um, and the second thing is when you come to radiology around the hip and groin no more than other parts of the body there's a lot of false positives uh, we know that label tears are incredibly prevalent uh, and cam lesion in particular is incredibly prevalent in asymptomatic populations um, and very often an athlete can present with pain in the groin area you get a scan and often it'll show uh, bone edema which uh, a pubic bone which often again is very common in asymptomatic athletes involved in change direction sports um, and also uh, changes within the hip joint and so it's difficult to differentiate out if based on the scans in your clinical exam you, you come with, with a diagnosis of, of a doctor related groin pain or you come with a diagnosis of pubic related groin pain if the athlete has both which diagnosis do you give it and therefore off the back of that what management strategy do, uh, do you choose? So I think having clarity on your on your anatomical diagnosis is incredibly important because you want clarity on, is this something for rehab or is this something that requires third-party involvement? Um, let's say a stress factor, the neck of femur or something more, 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 uh, more serious like that. Um, but when it comes to, uh, let's say, athletic groin pain and musculotendinous groin pain, from a re- rehabilitation point of view, it probably doesn't necessarily matter where the pain is coming from or the number of symptomatic sites they're clearly overloading their groin and therefore your focus then becomes more on why is that athlete ended up in this scenario and what can you do about it so i think the the role for differential diagnosis really comes on is there third party input required whether that's you know um, a different management pathway or surgical intervention etc and if there isn't well and it's for rehabilitation well then from a rehabilitation point of view it's almost like you start from scratch again and say right why has this athlete become symptomatic? Because you can have two or three athletes who all have a doctor related groin pain, but move very, very differently. And therefore, if you give them all the same rehab program, is that the best way to get them all from A to A to B as quickly as possible? That's really interesting. And I think before we start delving into a little bit more about the, the rehabilitation specifics, do you mind just talking to us a little bit about the, the path and mechanics of uh, hip and groin pain? Yeah, so I, I think you're always dealing with a, with the triangle of, you know, anatomy, uh, movement, and load. So there's very few people who are not playing change direction sports getting athletic groin pain. So if you're a sedentary adult, you're highly unlikely to get overload of the hip and groin. So load and changes in load is is, is a big piece of the jigsaw higher. But very often it's not the problem; it just exposes the problem. Um, and secondarily, your anatomy may leave you more or less susceptible to the development of hip impingement and the development of athletic groin pain. We know that those with larger cam lesions will impinge earlier in range. And we know there's cadaveric studies showing that earlier impingement leads to changes or impingement of the hip joint, but also changes in load across the symphys pubis. So acknowledging that anatomy and load are, are underpinning some of these issues, um, you're looking for movement patterns that will increase load primarily through the rectus abdominis, the adductor longus, and the symphys pubis. And very often in running, kicking, and change direction, you'll see those presenting with groin pain with uh, a large degree of anterior pelvic tilt, uh, which is going to increase forces through the anterior hip and pelvis, uh, a loss of center mass control relative to the stance leg. Primarily, they tend to sway more, thus increasing the load eccentrically through the adductors. And very often, they struggle for control of rotation around the hip and around the trunk, whether that's during acceleration or during change direction as well. So you're left with these combination of factors that either are one-off or repeatedly increase the stress and strain through the hip and by extension through the symphys pubis and attaching musculotendinous structures. 
And depending on your anatomy then or your training load or the lack of recovery between training bouts, that may be enough that, that'll leave you predisposed. So it's not that your you know, anterior tip guarantees groin pain, but when you combine it with your anatomy, your injury history maybe, and your training load, it your your wiggle room decreases um, the, more the, the more of those variables that are involved. Brilliant. And I think that, that leads really nicely on to, to kind of the topic of interest today, which is the, the role of biomechanical analysis in the management of hip and groin pain. And we know you've done lots of work in, in biomechanical um, rehabilitation in relation to hip and groin pain as well as uh, ACL. But do you mind just telling us a little bit about kind of your, your work and some of, the, some of the key findings? Yeah, I suppose it, it comes back to an overarching view of, you know, where you're sore versus why you're sore. Uh, and trying to take a step back and the athletes you know are telling us that it's it's high speed movements either during sprinting or acceleration or during change direction these are the motions along with kicking that are most provocative for them and um, so what is it about the way that they're executing those tasks that leaves them you know susceptible to groin pain either acutely or chronically and um, and so our analysis has tried to look at how they move during these in particular change direction maneuvers currently and um, how is that different from healthy athletes and what changes do you see post-rehabilitation in those that have gone on to successfully make a pain-free return to play? Um, and by and large, what we tend to see is, in particular during change direction, is that you um, have less trunk sway, less ipsilateral trunk rotation, um, less anterior pelvic tilt, and more rotation towards the direction of travel. So a lot of those pathomechanics that we talked about initially um, are resolved or improved um, post uh, rehabilitation in the research that we've done, and the research approach has been to to target how them you know what their segmental control or what their coordination is based on them as an individual, not based on whether they're symptomatic. So regardless of whether you have pain in your iliopsoas or your pubic bone or two or three different areas concurrently, the rehab intervention should be focused on how you move, where your individual strengths and weaknesses are, and how you progress on. And my colleague Sam Beda just had a, a paper recently where we repeated the, the intervention study with similar outcomes in terms of return to play uh, and HAGOS changes. Um, but also he found that you know hip strength improved. Uh, hip strength was down compared to healthy athletes. Hip strength uh, improved back to normal levels post-rehabilitation. But actually, adductor strength went back to normal without any specific adductor strengthening. So, so often we find that... Um, the squeeze test is positive. Uh, people assume that to mean number A, that the adductor is the source of pain, and also number B, that because I'm sore, I must have weakness through my adductors, rather than asking the question, why are the adductors symptomatic in the, in the first place? And what Sam's study found was that without any director adductor strengthening, A, they made a pain-free return to play, and B, their adductor strength levels went back to normative levels of the same as healthy athletes. And that's either because... <clears throat> you've taken away the pain, you're able to recruit more through your adductors, um, either because we put a, a large emphasis on your lumbopelvic control and thoracolumbar control, and that allows you to develop more force in the frontal plane around the hip, or we're getting indirect strengthening through squats and through lunges and other exercises. So again, I think our approach is focused, you know, where on, on, on why are you developing symptoms versus where you're sore, and then looking at you as an individual athlete, and how can we, you know, take you from where your current painful state and restore you back to the activities that you um, that are part of your sporting uh, performance? Brilliant. And I suppose you've kind of discussed the, the next question already a little bit about the rehabilitation strategies for athletic um, hip and groin. But you, you've mentioned obviously it's very individualized, and you know it's important to make sure that 
each athlete is different and they're unique. What, what kind of are some of the overall principles or strategies for rehabilitation that, that, that you kind of use? I know you've mentioned a, a few of those. Yeah, I think the overall, again, coming back to that principle of where you're sore versus why you're sore, I think an underpinning of what are those athletes' individual deficits, um, whether that is strength locally around the hip, whether that's strength globally, um, what their physical capacity is to produce force at speed, so their jumps, their, their plyometric ability. My colleague Shane Gore's done a lot on, on reactive strength and stiffness at the hip and the ankle and how that's different from growing pain patients to, to healthy athletes during running and hopping. Um, and developing a profile of that athlete in terms of their strength, their power, their reactive strength, and then their mechanics during running and change direction. And then trying to identify or clinically reason based on their presentation where their individual deficits are. And the second part is a lot of, you know, you often hear about someone failed rehabilitation. Um, but the question is, did they fail rehab or did rehab fail them? So it only really matters, A, can you identify what the drivers are for their growing pain presentation? And then B, more importantly, is the program I'm giving and the way I'm coaching and progressing it, is it affecting change? And that's always been, I suppose, the beauty of having a biomechanics lab in the clinic is it keeps you very accountable to your rehab interventions. Because if you say, I'm going to, you know, we're going to come in for an intensive block here, we'll retest you in two weeks or four weeks, you're expecting your markers to have changed substantially. And by extension, then you'll expect, expect the, the symptoms to have changed in, in, in accordance. So I think where I see athletes running into recurrent groin pain or groin pain that's resistant to rehabilitation is perhaps the inability to identify all the factors. So maybe an over-focus on the painful muscle, my hip flexor sore, therefore I do extra hip flexor strengthening when actually my hip flexor strength was not the problem. And an inability to identify their movement strategies at higher level. So focusing only on strength and not at their, um, their stiffness, not on their running and change direction mechanics. And then doing a block of rehab but not necessarily doing the right exercise, but maybe just not getting the changes that you're looking for. And that can go for, for any part of rehab, whether it's ACL or whatever else. So again, you have your measures that you think are appropriate for that clinical presentation. And after a one week, two week, five week block, do they look substantially different? And if not, is that the athlete's fault or uh, is it my fault? And do I need to look back at, at, at what I'm doing and how I'm progressing things? And invariably, the, the presentations that I have had seen that it, either A, I've done second review on or B that I, I've struggled with to progress as efficiently as the easy ones per se. Invariably, I've been missing something from my assessment. And when you go back and look at it, the tendency tends to be blame the anatomy. So therefore, you know, do I need an injection or do I need surgery? But if I need surgery, I need it because something is needs to be fixed. And if it didn't need to be fixed at the beginning, just because I'm not getting better six weeks later, does that mean something has miraculously changed or actually my intervention is not achieving what you want? And so it's been reflective as, what are the missing pieces of the jigsaw um, in the completeness of that athlete? Perfect. And you, you've mentioned a little bit about surgery in the end there, and it's, it's probably appropriate just to, just to mention, you know, the role of surgery in athletic hip and groin pain from, from your experience and, you know, where it comes in. You've mentioned, obviously, it's it's there to, to fix anatomical structures, but do you mind giving us a little bit of insight into your experience? Yeah, like it, it, it's a real challenge. Um, I think that there's been a, a lot of sea change in the management surgery of these athletes over time. Uh, if you take the hip, for example, I think there's a much greater pres appreciation now that much of what we see as pathological on MRI in athletic hips is actually, you know, highly prevalent in asymptomatic populations, uh, both in terms of CAM lesions and in terms of isolated labral tears. And um, the challenge always with these things is um, who should go for surgery and when. And I think, 
what you want to try and do is identify all the functional reasons why you might have dynamic impingement. So we talked about motor control around the hip, strength, power, running, and change direction. If you resolve those deficits um, and you're still not able to tolerate your, your training loads, then it may be suitable to, to, to get a, an orthopedic opinion. But again, you'll commonly find that, that surgeons will, will suggest that you know athletes that do best with, with are those with nicely hit label tear, and they tend to do best with, with rehab. And then those that do worse are those that have some chondral changes. And they're the ones where, you know, from a rehab point of view, you're, you're looking from a system to push things on. So I think whatever we need to do, we need to try and minimize the transition of that towards chondral damage because that starts to begin a, a different kind of journey for that athlete. Um, in terms of musculotendinous injury, I think there's been a big sea shift away from surgery. I think the, the, the misunderstanding of, of hernia um, has really evolved over the last couple of years. Um, you, you see some athletes, as you see, even older you know older athletes in their 40s presenting with a big large hernia very very clear easy diagnosis and um, with no pain and uh, they just have discovered this this big bulge in their low abdomen and, they, and, and we know that won't resolve with, without surgery and um, but then we're often it's often suggested that you know subtle weakness in the posterior wall is the cause of all this uh, you know multiple symptoms that we see in the area and um, so certainly there's been a, a, a rollback in those going for, for, for surgery and the understanding of the pathomechanics of groin pain and in particular in relation to, you know, adductor releases and stuff, stuff like that. I think there's been a big move away from that. So I think it comes back then to, to the accuracy of our diagnosis. If, if someone has frank posterior wall weakness and that's the driver of their pain, that's, that's a sort or, or, you know, has a, has a, has a large disruption of the rec fem and adductor longus attachment to the pubic bone that, that that's clear, but that that's something that, if you feel surgery is warranted or, you know, your, your team feels surgery warranted, that's a discussion at the beginning. I'm not necessarily sure often what you find is athletes go for surgery because rehab has failed uh, without necessarily saying, well, look at what are the mechanical factors that I might have addressed. So why, why do some need surgery and some don't for the same anatomical presentation? Um, but I think certainly around the hip, it, it's, it's a real challenge to, to identify who needs surgery and who doesn't. And certainly the outcomes post-hip surgery for, for high demand sports um, is, is mixed at best through no fault of our orthopedic colleagues. I think it, much that's to do with, with, with the rehabilitation that, 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 that we provide afterwards. And I think the ultimate goal is to try and minimize the translation of those hips into those that have, have more severe chondral injury because that, that's the slippery slope for that athlete. Brilliant. And I think you've given us some fantastic insight onto what is a very complex topic to, to say the least. If, if listeners were looking to reach out to you on social media or wherever it may be or find out a little bit more about some of the work that you've discussed, where, where would you recommend? Yeah, so um, my, my social media handle is uh, on Twitter is Enda underscore King. Um, I presume Instagram is back up and running, but uh, it's on there as well. And um, obviously the, the, the clinic website, the Sports Surgery Clinic website has, has lots of content and details and my own website is Enda dash king.com where i have all our publications uh, and some additional information if anyone's interested brilliant and thank you very much for joining us today once again um listeners will put up all the links for the articles and the papers that end has mentioned and the social media accounts if you enjoyed today please subscribe to the fmpa on our spotify and soundcloud accounts where you can reach all of our podcasts alternatively our podcasts are also available for free via the podcast section of the fmpa website You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day.